This is an AMI podcast. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. We are told to practice social distancing by staying home. This assumes everyone has a home to social distance in. We know that the housing market across Canada, especially in urban centres like Vancouver and Toronto, has been heating up for years now. For renter households who, on average, earn less than homeowners, a combination of unaffordable rents and stagnating or falling incomes has meant that during COVID-19, their housing is as precarious as it is essential. And if working Canadian renters are struggling, what does all this mean for the unemployed, the homeless, or those on fixed incomes, such as social assistance or old age pensions? Today, we discuss housing affordability for renters during COVID-19. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. We're all working from home today to bring you this program, but we're always happy to keep you in the loop. I know that there's a lot of things happening. The news is changing day by day, and we want to make sure that you're always kept informed and in the loop, which is why... We've compiled all of the segments from all of our live shows, now with Dave Brown, Kelly and Company, and of course, The Pulse, in one place. So you can go to ami.ca forward slash COVID-19 to get all of your information delivered to you from the perspective of people with disabilities. That website, again, is ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. Now, I did mention that... I'm at home today, practicing social distance, bringing you this program, and so is Andrika, uh, the producer of this program, so is Sam, our technical producer, everyone else at AMI-audio. But really, it assumes that everyone who's social distancing has a home to go to. And of course, if you don't have a home or your housing is precarious and you're worried about being evicted or not being able to pay your rent, it can suddenly become a thousand times more challenging, a million times more challenging to practice social distancing safely during a public health emergency. Ricardo Tranjan is my guest today. Ricardo is a senior researcher at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. He joins us now on the line to talk about his recent report, The Rent is Due Soon, Financial Insecurity and COVID-19. Ricardo, welcome to The Pulse. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Happy to be here. It's great to have you on the program. For those of us who don't know what the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives or the CCPA is, can you tell us about it? Of course. We are a nonpartisan research centre or think tank uh, that focuses mostly on social and economic policy. Um, we have a national office that engages on national policy issues. We also have five provincial offices that focus a little bit more on what provincial governments and large cities do. Um, we are also known to be number crunchers because we do a lot of quantitative economic analysis. It sounds like you do a lot. And this 
report that you put out that we're discussing today, one of the first things I was struck by was the timeliness of the report itself. So most people, if you were to talk to them, would say, you know what, I had no idea any of this was going to happen to any of us. But it sounds like you really managed to nail it just in terms of the timing of your report. What gave you the impression that now was the time to study the the saving habits of tenants and to find out exactly how precarious their financial situation was? Well, we often talk about people who are living paycheck to paycheck. That is a notion that has unfortunately become very common in in policy debates and in day-to-day conversations. And when this crisis struck and people were um, told to stay home and businesses were told to shut off, um, the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, what about um, those people who are living paycheck to paycheck? How are they going to make ends meet in the end of the month? And um, based on my previous research and just my lived experience, I know that people who pay rent um, are particularly at risk because that's the biggest expense uh, for most uh, households, for most low-income households. And uh, so, yeah, that's when I kind of thought, okay, we need to look at this very carefully. What is it going to happen to those who rent and whose major source of income is employment income? And if we take away their wages, how are they going to make it through this? And so when we talk about people who rent, how many people are we talking about? How many households across the country actually rent? Um, It's about 38% of all households in Canada rent. That's around 5 million households. And um, and if you focus a little bit more, as I did, on households who rent and whose major source of income is either employment income or self-employment, and some of them may have additional income from government transfers or from pensions or for investment, but their major source of income is actually their wages. Then we're talking about 3.4 million households across the country. That's a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, I think that it maybe it's a bit of a stereotype, but when I think about renters, I often think about tenants living in high rises in big cities like Toronto or Vancouver. But are renters a little bit more spread out? Do we find renters in small towns, maybe even in rural areas or in the countryside? We do. We do. Uh, there was something that I, I thought was important to clarify in this study. Um, it's something we find across the country. We found like in PEI as, as much as we found in British Columbia. Um, what the rental um, apartments or homes look like varies. Um, so I think in, in large cities like Vancouver and Toronto, we will see more of the sort of the high rising towers with lots of units sort of in the same place. Um, in other parts of either Ontario or other provinces, we see different types of, of, of homes, um, but essentially their economic condition is the same. They don't own a home um, and they need to pay rent to stay housed 
and that rent is usually a quite a large um, share of their total income. So, so fundamentally, even if the houses look a little bit different from here today, um, the, the economic aspect of it and the financial insecurity um, aspect of it, which I focus on, it's essentially the same across the country. And when we think about the ability of renters to pay their rent. I mean, most are wage earners. But the other facet to this is, do you actually have some kind of a financial cushion built in? If you're a middle class family, you assume that the family has some savings put away. So if, you know, someone loses a job or because of COVID-19 or anything else, maybe they've got a little bit of money put aside so they can manage to pay their rent or other bills. But what about low income Canadians? I mean, it's fair to say that these are people who may not have savings at all. Yes, uh, and that's true. That's true, and that's true for both low income and even middle income people who we think about as you know middle class Canadians. Um, they may be able to pay their bills and have a comfortable life on a day to day basis, but that doesn't mean they're being able to put money away. Right, because sometimes they're just the entire income is being consumed by high rents. Um, in some provinces, we have really high childcare fees. Uh, utility bills have been growing quite a bit. Um, in major centers, we're not investing as much in public transit, in operating subsidies for p- public transit. So, public transit is becoming more and more expensive, and that sometimes is also a, a thinkable. Um, share of people's expenditures. So all of these high living costs um, are doing so that um, even people who have decent wages, um, they may be getting by, but they're not necessarily putting money away. And so what we found was that of all of those households that um, rent and rely on employment income, there are uh, about half of them who have less than a month's worth of income saved for an emergency. That's how little they have been able to put away. So let me just emphasize that. In your study, what you found was that half of working renters had less than a month's income saved. So if they lost their jobs they would not even be able to pay one month's rent. Can you expand on those numbers a little bit more for us? Um, Do tenants, by and large, have a few weeks' income saved? Uh, Is there a portion of renters that has more than a month's uh, income saved? What's the breakdown like? Take us through your findings. Yes, of course. Um, So just to explain what we did and how we got to those numbers and how, how... it happens that I know how much people, how many people have. Because sometimes I get asked that question: How do you know how much people money have? So just to explain that first, uh, uh, it, this is the Statistics Canada data, right? The, the Statistics Canada Survey for Financial Security looks at a number of variables um, regarding Canadian finances, and so using the raw data for that survey. I was able to calculate how much folks have in liquid assets, which is the economic term for money that can be easily cashed out. 
So this would include um, what you have in your savings account, some tax-free savings accounts, mutual funds, anything that you could literally walk into the bank, cash out and walk out. It doesn't include things like your RSP, which um, it's complicated to get the money out. It doesn't include property that you would have to sell it and then get the money. So it's really money that you can tap in very quickly. Um, so I added all of that up. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that um, it's only about 46% of people who have enough households, I'm sorry, 46% of households that have enough put away to cover uh, that, are, that is equivalent to one month of, of income for them. And actually, I looked at a little bit closer and then I figured out that about um, a quarter um, have even less than a week. So essentially a quarter of them um, have no, no savings. And so if they don't get that paycheck, that biweekly paycheck, they literally would be in a situation where um, they can probably not buy food, definitely not pay the rent, um, or pay some other essential services. Um, uh, so they're, they're pretty in a very difficult situation. And to our earlier point, um, that's something we found across the country. It's not something that is particular to uh, only Ontario or to big cities like Toronto and Vancouver. It's really something that we saw it across the country and, and in all the provinces. It sounds like it's a very desperate situation. And I must admit that even though I've done a lot of work in the housing field, I was surprised by your findings. Uh, Let's move on to talking about some solutions, Ricardo. You've said in the report that it's time we had a grown-up conversation about this issue. You're not mincing words here. Um, Are you not happy or satisfied with the caliber of conversation about uh, tenancy issues and housing affordability? Do you feel like renters are being forgotten? Yes, I think we very quickly start talking about suspension on evictions. And that's key and that's important. And I'm I'm glad we had that conversation. And uh, by now, most of the provinces came through and put it a ban on eviction. So, that's great because it is at this point just common sense that we cannot be mm-hmm. pulling people out on the street when health authorities are ordering us to stay inside, right? So that's good. Mm-hmm. But then what about next month or the month after and the month after? How are people going to pay for the rent? So this notion that people will not get affected actually helps them in a way that it works like a rent deferral so that if you don't have money right now, you don't need to pay the rent, you're not going to be thrown out on the streets. But what happens a month or two months and three months from now? Um, And I think that people are really concerned about that. They're very anxious about that. I would, you know, anyone would if if you're starting to recruit like arrears and you have no perspective of going back to your job. Uh, So I think what governments need to be doing, and it's, it's taking that question heads on, and then signaling to people, okay, we know you're not going to be able to pay rent maybe for two or three months, um, and you, we're going to deal with it. We're going to have a grown-up conversation about what rent forgiveness is going to look like in Canada because we're going to have to talk about this. Because one, one thing that it's important to remember is that the numbers that I provide you with are 
our stats for times of good economic activity. So those numbers are from 2016, when unemployment was low, when the economy was growing, and yet people are able to save so little. So there's no reason to expect that as we weather through the recession, as we try to recover, people are going to be able to pay two or three months in arrears. You mentioned a couple of terms, Ricardo, that I'm going to ask you to define for the non-economists among us. A rent deferral and rent forgiveness are not the same thing. This much I do understand, but what do we mean by both of those things? Yeah, so deferral means that you do not need to pay this month. Comes due date, Mm -hmm. it's okay not to pay. Uh, You can pay next month or you can pay the month after. Um, It sort of signals that the landlords will come and have some sort of um, plan that will allow you to pay your years and uh, sort of either installments or in a delayed payments. So we will deal with your arrears. That's what it says. That's what it tells tenants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which in one way, great. It means that I'm not going to get thrown out right away. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, not great because I don't know how I'm going to deal with three or four months of arrears and that, what that's going to mm-hmm. mean for my family. So it's causing people to be anxiety, uh, be anxious about this. So then that's where we move about talking about uh, rent forgiveness when what mm-hmm. that signals to folks and say, you know what, some of this debt is just going to be right off because we understand that folks can't pay it. So is is the delaying your debt versus writing it off? And, um, and what I'm saying here is that we need to start signaling it to people that at least some part of their debt is going to be written off. Well, let me just stop you there because I'm no doubt that a rent deferral or rent forgiveness is good for tenants. And if you were a large corporate landlord, you might even be able to absorb those costs. Now, I'm sure you've been asked this one before, but I'm going to play devil's advocate and ask you anyways. What about a small landlord, a mom and pop landlord, someone who owns an investment property? They're thinking this investment property is going to supplement my retirement income, and they may not be able to absorb those losses. What are you saying to those small non-corporate landlords? What is important to emphasize first is that that is a small share of the market, right? Mm -hmm. So I also looked at how many households in Canada um, own just one property, the property in which they live, and they rent a portion of that property. So that is, you know, in, in, in common terms, is the is the kind of the widow down the street who you know that rents a room to a student or to a couple of students, right? And she mm-hmm. uses that money to complement her income. We usually, we often think of, of, of landlords in, in those terms, and it mm-hmm. turns out to be only 4% of all the homes in the country that are in that particular situation, right? And then mm-hmm. after that, it starts getting bigger. You have families who have a few units and rent some of them and even one of them. And you have the small businesses. And then you have the large corporations. And there's some really good research coming out now of the University of Waterloo that shows that uh, investment trusts, which is a kind of fiscal mechanism to invest in mm-hmm. property, uh, 
they now own 20% of all the units in the country. Uh, so, mm. so I think what I'm saying here is when I talk about rent forgiveness, I acknowledge the fact that we're going to need different solutions for different um, types of landlords. So I think the, mm. the widow down the street, she can't absorb the loss, right? And, and, and mm. if we ask her to do so, we might be putting her in a very uh, unfortunate and insecure financial situation. So I think the best way there is to provide some kind of rent supplement to the tenant so that tenants can make their payments. Um, we can provide some sort of tax breaks or tax support to the landlord in that case. Make sure they're both tenants and landlords in that case, they are financially secure, they're looked after. Um, but as we move on to larger companies, I think the solution is a little bit different. So the government, the federal government, already announced a number of supports for um, small businesses, right? So if you're a small business in, in that in that market, you already can tap into some of these benefits. And I think we need to be sure that one, small businesses um, do get it, and then two, that they pass on some of that relief to the tenants, right? And then mm-hmm. eventually we get to the really, really large corporations who are making tons of profit year after year. And they profit from the fact that there is a problem in the housing market. They profit from the fact mm-hmm. that there's a housing crisis and not enough units for everyone. That's why mm-hmm. that's what drives the price of rent up. That's what drives their profits up. And I think mm-hmm. that it's now time to ask them to be... Um, also absorbing some of the loss as them to be part of the solution. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, if you think about who's more indebted to society as, as a whole, I think it would be them than the tenant who, you know, works full time, gets a minimum wage, and this month cannot pay rent. There's been a, a, a petition that's been going around online, and it's gathered a lot of steam. The last I checked, it had hundreds of thousands of tenants who had signed on. And there are so many tenant organizations and advocates calling for uh, keep your rent or uh, just get a rent waiver. If you can't afford it, then don't pay your rent. Are you in favor of tenants just withholding their rent right now if they can't afford it? Like if it came down to it, groceries or rent, do you say put the groceries on your table and hold off on paying the rent? Yes. I think that's, an, you know, if you have, if you have a family, you have children or just yourself and your health, um, you need to be eating. You need to be keeping um, your family safe and um, strong because, you know, even from strictly a health perspective, um, this is a time where we all need to be, at our best in terms of our health and we need to be strong, we need to be well nourished. Uh, should we catch uh, this virus, we're going to have a better way of, of, of fighting it and we're going to be more likely to, to, to get through it. So absolutely, if it comes down, you know, between rent and um, rent and food and other basic necessities like medication and what and other things, um, by all means, keep your rent. Um, but we cannot underestimate how difficult that choice is for people. Right? We're talking about serious people. We're talking about hardworking people with, with strong ethics who, you know, every month 
get their salaries and then go and pay their obligations and then, you know, keep the things tight at home to make sure they're not spending beyond their means and, you know, teach those kids values about being economical, about uh, being hardworking. And now we're telling them to be full on a debt. Um, that, that is not an easy thing to do. It's not, I think, what most people would naturally do because they're really um, responsible, serious working folks. Um, so, and that's why I'm, I'm telling governments to go and signal to those folks, you know, it is okay to do. These are special times. These are very difficult circumstances and then and some things going to be worked out. It is okay to do mm-hmm. it now. And 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 suspending eviction, indirect way of doing that, that I think that it's it's not the best way of doing it because you're kind of leaving people to interpret what that means, and and still you don't you don't insure them as as much as I think we could be insuring them. Well, Ricardo, it's been really great talking to you and finding out about your study. Thank you so much for being on the program. It's been very enlightening. Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk to your audience. That was Ricardo Tranjan, who is a senior researcher for the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives. If you'd like to catch any of our conversation today or previous episodes of The Pulse, you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, don't forget to like, rate or subscribe. And better yet, tell your friends and family to like, rate and subscribe. I believe that housing is a human right. It is a, a right that every individual every Canadian has to call a safe and a affordable place home. This becomes particularly salient during a public health crisis such as COVID-19, what we're dealing with right now, where people are being asked to stay home. And we need to really think about what it means and where we are at as a society if close to half of working tenants cannot say that they have a month's rent put aside. We are at a stage where the rich are getting richer and most people, although they are ethical and work hard, are living paycheck to paycheck. This situation must be remedied by governments at all levels. It needs leadership from governments. Too long, we have left housing up to the private sector. We have relied on landlords and private companies to further a public good. It's time that the government got involved with housing. I know we have a national housing strategy, which was a long time coming, and the federal government has promised investments in housing, and we need to accelerate those efforts. The federal government, indeed the provincial government and municipal governments at all levels need to finance the building of purpose-built rental housing. We really do need to have a grown-up conversation and a long overdue conversation about the state of affordable housing in Canada. We can and must do better in a post-COVID world. Well, that's enough for me today. I hope I haven't gone on too long, but if you'd like to hear more from me, you can head on over to our blog, ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. My very heartfelt thanks to Ricardo Tranjan for being my guest today. The Pulse is produced by Andrika Delanroll. Sam Robinson is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And with special thanks going out to Paula Denine, the supervisor of AMI-audio technical, whose hard work has made this remote broadcast possible. 
We'd love to get your feedback either by Twitter, write to at AMI Audio, use the hashtag PulseAMI, email us at feedback at AMI.ca, or give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And let us know if we have your permission to play the audio on the program. Thanks a lot for listening. Everyone stay safe, be well, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.